Let's go to Second Chronicles. Let's get into it this morning. Let's get into it quick. Y'all, it just feels like y'all need to get into it quick this morning. Is that true? Okay. We're going to chat a little bit this morning. Y'all ready for that? I'm coming. It's all right. I'm coming. Okay. This is better. I feel like I need to be near you this morning. There's some of you that need... I had a... Uh, I think you've heard this before, but I had a... Uh, I think it was a chemistry, maybe physics... No, I didn't get to physics. It was chemistry. Uh, it was definitely our intro to chemistry, whatever it was. Anyway, he, it was in high school, and he would carry around a yardstick. And if you started nodding, your desk was going to be slapped. And it was terrifying. I won't tell you how many times or if it happened to me, but I didn't make it to physics. So that just tells you right there. It may have happened once or twice. Just kidding. You guys can laugh this morning. Let's all practice laughing. Okay, there we go. Let's just pretend that I just told a joke and there it is. Okay, good. All right, you're with me. Second Chronicles. So we're studying who? Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And will this series ever end? No, No, it may not. We're going to be here a long time. But we are getting into it. I don't know about you, but this has been such such a fresh uh, word for my heart, just in the things that God can do. Um, in, in a place that has the appearance of such brokenness and, uh, and hurt, such idolatry. The turnaround here uh, that Hezekiah leads is incredible. And I think to me, it's even more encouraging that Hezekiah was how old? He was 25 when he began to do all of these things. And, uh, and I'm encouraged for, uh, for us and for what God is doing uh, amongst us, uh, for what God is doing in Nacogdoches, for what God is doing at SFA, uh, and for what God is doing even on a grander scale uh, in the nations. And you're going to get a chance to hear this morning from Carlos. He's, uh, he's uh, on the One for Israel team, uh, and One for Israel is who we, uh, ha- our church has, has partnered with uh, to serve in Israel, to serve the Middle East. Um, and you're going to hear phenomenal testimony of what God is doing uh, around the world this morning. So that'll be in the next hour. I'm really excited for you to be able to hear. Um, I love that we're talking about China. We're going to be talking about uh, Jerusalem and Israel. And uh, God is doing a global work. Amen. And that is, uh, that is exciting. And you're going to get to hear a little bit of that. And also uh, would love for you to come to 24-7 because Carlos is going to be with us at 24-7 as well uh, on Tuesday night. So you'll hear from him uh, here in the next hour and then uh, on Tuesday night as well. So, so please, if you, if you can uh, make time for that, hopefully that's a refreshing time during the week for you, Tuesday nights at 8, just to come and worship. Several churches and ministries have partnered together. So uh, it's a wonderful time of unity and worship around uh, around Jesus and uh, and Carlos will be sharing this week, so that'll be really good. Uh, last week we actually talked about this topic of unity, and uh, it was because uh, we we read that that Hezekiah is going to do something pretty um, pretty major. He is going to reinstitute what. Passover, that's right. They had missed Passover for years because you remember uh, kind of culminating with Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, uh, the wickedness uh, in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, not in Jerusalem, in Israel uh, as well as in Judah was at its peak. They had walked away from the Lord. So they obviously are not celebrating the feasts that God had instituted. They're not, they're not following the calendar. They're not celebrating the feasts that God had instituted. Passover kind of being this bedrock feast for Israel because it was commemorating what? The Exodus, right? Passover is commemorating the Exodus. It is God's people on a yearly basis remembering the, the work of salvation that God, uh, that God did on behalf of his people as he brought them out of Egypt after 400, 
400 years of slavery. And, he, and he has, there's this miraculous exit. We're actually, uh, Pat's been going through a series, Sea of Faith, and we've talked about that a little bit. So it's been cool to see how God has, uh, has overlapped some of these uh, topics. Um, but, but Hezekiah is going to say it is important for us to celebrate the Passover. Now, what's cool about it is he sends an invitation to the remnant of Israel. Right? Because Israel had already been taken over, or it was, the takeover was in progress. It didn't just happen in a night, but it was, uh, the takeover was in progress by who? Yeah, good, by the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians had come in and overtaken um, Israel, but there was a remnant who had not yet gone into captivity or who could kind of, there were pockets of Israel that had, uh, I guess you could say, avoided uh, captivity. And, and Hezekiah sends an invitation to Israel. Now, Israel, it's kind of hard to say, is worse than, but you could probably say is worse than Judah in that they had no good king. At no point did Israel, since the divide after Solomon, at no point did Israel have a good king. And so they practiced idolatry from Solomon all the way until this day. And, and Judah wasn't much better, but they had a few good starts. And, uh, and Hezekiah is this kind of this bright, shining star in the midst of the kings of Judah. But he sends to Israel this invitation to come and join Judah in the celebration of the Passover. Here's what I want you to remember from last week that is important to carry into uh, this week. It's this word on unity. So unity was going to come not because they all agreed on all of the same things, right? Unity didn't come. Hezekiah didn't send out an invitation and say, listen, if we can just right all of our wrongs, if we can just have all the same decisions, if we can just agree on everything, then there will be unity. The invitation for unity was to come and celebrate Passover. Now, was Passover something that Hezekiah made up? Hezekiah didn't invent Passover. What was Passover? Passover was a, an event orchestrated by the power of God and commanded in the Torah for his people to celebrate year after year. It was the law of God for the Passover to be celebrated. So the invitation, it's important that we understand this, the invitation from Hezekiah isn't come join me and let's be unified on human terms. The invitation from Hezekiah is we are going to submit ourselves to the will of God Would you join us? Because the only possibility for human beings, the only way for human beings to be unified is in submission to God. That's the only way. Because how many of you in this room know that that I promise you, you have disagreement with your neighbor? Do you know that you don't think the exact same as your neighbor? Some of you are sitting next to your spouse and they said, amen, right? (laughs) You're gonna disagree. We don't think the same. If you and I were going to build a widget, we would probably build a widget differently, right? Yeah, widget, it's just kind of a, widget is a business term that they say we're going to make widgets. You guys ever been to business business class? Listen, I didn't make it to physics, but I did a few business classes, all right? So shape up, okay? Maybe, well, okay, if we're going to build a ladder, (laughs) you might build a ladder differently. And then they'll, oh, okay. (laughs) We might do it differently, right? Because we're different. And we can't unify over human things because God intentionally made us different. That's the beauty and, listen, the miracle of the body of Christ. That the only possibility of unity, the only one, is for us to be unified under one thing that is never going to change. See, that's the key with unity is it has to be underneath something or held together, bonded by something that will never change. And what is the only thing, and I'm not using thing in a degrading way, but what is the only entity that will never change? God. 
He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if we, as human beings, who are fickle, amen, we're going to change. We're going to have different opinions. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and think differently about things that I thought about today. I promise. And the only way for us to be unified is for us to submit to an unchanging God who is perfect in all his ways. So the invitation is significant because Hezekiah says, come and be part of what God has asked us to do. It's what we need in our day. It's what our church needs. I don't mean just Fredonia Hill. I just mean, I mean the church in general. It's what we need in our day. We don't need a, a great awakening of people being unified over a set of human ideas. We don't need to be unified over our theology of church planning. We don't need to be unified in our theology of discipleship. We don't need to be unified in in our theology of what is the right way to sing and what is the wrong way to sing or if we sing or if we don't. We don't need to be unified in the way that we dress on a Sunday morning. We don't need to be unified in the way that people look when they come into church on Sunday morning. We need to be unified in that we are all disciples of Jesus submitted to his will and following him. That's it. And what that allows for, what that allows for is a beautiful, eclectic group of people that think differently, that see things differently, but that walk in perfect unity, loving one another because they're submitted to God. That is a miracle. Do you know that real unity actually is a miracle? Just turn on the news. Right? What do, we try, what, do, what, do, what do humans try to unify under? We try to, right now, what, do we, what would we love to be unified under? Politics. Never going to happen. You can slap a name on it, call it whatever party you want. You can wear the same t-shirt, but look, you can have the same bumper sticker and the same sign in the front of your yard, but even the same sign in the front of your yard, I promise you there's no unity there. It's a disguise. But real unity is a miracle. It's supernatural. And it speaks of the goodness and the perfection of God. And so Hezekiah's invitation is for actual unity because it's in submission to God. And it's going to take humility. Everybody that's going to say yes is going to be somebody that's going to have to recognize that they have been disobedient in the past. Everybody that comes and celebrates Passover, is, it's going to have to be in repentance because they didn't do it last year, and they didn't do it the year before, and they didn't do it the year before. And they're going to have to come and say in repentance, we have forsaken the way of the Lord. We're repenting and humbling ourselves and submitting to him. Now, don't you think that would be a great move of God in our city if believers just all did those things? Repented. And humbly submitted to God, right? And this is what the invitation is for. So that was, that was kind of what we talked about last week. So this week, uh, we're going to be in the 30th chapter. So that's where we were last week. But we're going to finish chapter 30. We're going to go from verse 13 all the way through, okay? I, are there doubters in here? I just heard a little bit of groaning like he's kidding himself. <laughs> we're going to make it. We are going to make it. Are you ready? Do you want to get into the word this morning? Do you want to get into the word in a way that is led by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, let's do that. Let's not just get smarter. Let's get transformed. Is that all right? Let's submit to God right now, just even before we start. Like, don't just jump into the church thing and somebody's going to talk and I'm going to listen and it might mean something. We'll talk about it at lunch, maybe. But if the tacos are good, we might not, right? Don't, don't just jump into that routine, Let's get transformed. Let's meet God and let's do it together. Let's, let's say to him now, even now, in just in, in and of yourself, just go, God, would you change me this morning? 
Would you speak to me in the depths of my being like only you can as we open your word and we read it together? Would you change us this morning? Would we as a unit, as a group, would we be different this morning because of an encounter that we've had with you? And let's make that our prayer as we read the text this morning. Is that fair? All right, so verse 13. It says, and many people came together in Jerusalem. This is exciting. The invitation has gone out. And what does it say? And many. There were some we read in in, uh, previous verses that mocked the invitation. But many came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great assembly. You know, I think that's what I would say about you this morning, that you are a very great assembly. Don't you think? All right. It's all right. Don't be shy. I think you're a great assembly. Guys, come on. <laughs> All right. So they came, and, uh, and it says that they came in the second month. Now, remember we talked about that, so don't, don't freak out, because Passover is supposed to be in the first month. It's a beginning, and it's supposed to be in the first month. But they, they, uh, they consulted the Torah. They, they sat, and they thought about it, and they prayed, and they decided that because they had been unfaithful uh, to God, they had missed the observance of the Passover in the first month, uh, but according to the law, that in a matter, sorry, in a uh, matter of uncleanness, it was okay to celebrate the Passover in the second month, and God gave a specific day. So they decided that because this was a matter of uncleanness, they had not consecrated themselves before the Lord, that they were going to celebrate in the second month. So that's where this Passover takes place. So many gather. All right. Now, I'm going to read, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to read a big chunk and then we'll go back, okay? And what, by that I mean like three verses. So, get ready. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed all the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the brook Kidron. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were, what's that word? Ashamed. What? And the priests and the Levites were ashamed so that they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. They took their accustomed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests threw the blood that they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not, here it is, who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For the majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Ishkar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God the the Lord the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. Okay, so let's break this down. So they all come. Now, let's, let's think about what this crowd must look like. And you kind of, you, you read a little bit, and then you get details later that lets you know kind of what's going on. But here comes the crowd. It's this great assembly. And what does it say that they're doing? They're crashing into Jerusalem, Right, for people from all over Judah and people from from all over Israel, they're they're all coming into Jerusalem. And what is happening? They're tearing stuff up. Right? What does it say that they're doing? 
They're tearing the altars down, places that have been places of burning incense to false gods. They're tearing those up. And this is a pretty gnarly crowd because what are they doing? They're just kicking stuff over and carrying it to the river, right? And dumping it in the river. You with me? It's kind of a strange scene in Jerusalem. So imagine, so it's all these people who have not been faithful to God, right? It's all these people that, that don't know the song and dance of what they're supposed to do. All they know is that there is this invitation for them to come and observe Passover, that they're supposed to do it, and that the reason that they're not experiencing the blessing of God is because they're unfaithfulness. So they decide, well, that's a pretty good idea for us to humble ourselves and serve the Lord. They go into Jerusalem and they see, look, there's all these idols. There's all these places of burnt, burnt offering. And they get excited and they start tearing stuff up. And what are the priests and the Levites doing? They're getting, they're getting that feeling. Because there's all this riffraff that's coming into the city. They're, they're looking at this crowd and they're going, oh my gosh. I can't believe so and so came. Right? It says that they became what? Ashamed. And we learn why, because later in the text, it said that many of these people who had come had not consecrated themselves. They had not done the song and dance. They didn't know. They, they, now, I'm, say, I'm not saying they didn't know. We're not excusing them in ignorance. They knew the law of the Lord. But they weren't the pretty religious crowd, were they? They were kind of this raucous crowd who's coming into town and just tearing stuff up, throwing it in, and, just, and, and it sounds violent, and then just slaughtering Passover lambs. This is not the Passover that the priests and Levites expected. I imagine they expected this procession of two by two coming in from Israel, right? Clothed in white, humble and singing like a choir, <laughs> right? Oh, we've come. I told Sam I was going to sing this morning. She didn't believe me. Right? That's what they expected. They expected to receive people all put together, didn't they? all ready to do what God had asked them to do. And what happened? The wrong crowd came in to humble themselves and submit to God. And what happened to the religious? They went, oh, they got ashamed of what God was doing. Listen, church, they got ashamed of what God was doing. Why are we so concerned with the look and the way that people come? Why are we so observant of who comes and how they come? Why is church such a difficult place to walk into as you are? Why? Because all of the eyes are looking at you going, I wonder how they're going to come. I wonder if they're going to be dressed right. I wonder if they're going to walk right. I wonder if they're going to know our lingo, Christianese. I wonder if they're going to know what's proper during worship. I wonder if they're going to know the level of swaying that is allowed in this church. If they don't know the level of swaying, if it gets too crazy, I hope somebody can shut them down. But it won't be me because I'm worshiping. <laughs> Why are we so offended by what God brings and they were ashamed of the work that God was doing because they immediately began to observe what? Look and action. You with me? 
they be immediately began to observe, look and action. They had not consecrated themselves before the Lord. Oh my gosh, they're not proper. And because they're not proper, they became ashamed of the work that God was doing. Let me tell you, a religious spirit, this is not of God. A religious spirit is always concerned, always concerned about the look of things. Jesus, over and over and over in his life, would rebuke the religious spirit. Why? Because what happened? We see this in, on several occasions. What, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath, and what are they offended by? They're offended by the work of God, the healing of a blind man on the Sabbath, and they're offended because of the way that it looked. It didn't fit in the box of religion. And so the spirit of religion grew ashamed. The spirit of religion in them grew offended by the work that God was doing. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6? He says it two different times. He says, when you pray, don't pray as the Pharisees do. He's teaching on living a life in the kingdom, following him. And he says, don't pray as the Pharisees do. Why? Because why do they pray? They pray because of what they want it to what? Look like. You hear it? The spirit of religion wants to perform for the look of things and judges the look of things on other people. And then he says it about fasting. Just like 10 verses later, Jesus says, and when you fast, put on a happy face. Don't look like you're hungry. Don't do it like the Pharisees and the Sadducees do. Why? Because they fast for what? The look of it. They fast for the attention of men. And both times he tells them, and they have received their reward. And I've told you many times that the applause of man will last for a moment. And it will be over. And you will be left with nothing but the desire to go after that applause one more time. Anybody ever chased that before? Approval of men? Yeah, I have. And it lasts for this long. And when you get it, it feels great. But when it's gone, and it's gone quick, amen? All you're left with is the need to repeat the action. I gotta please him again. I gotta do it again. And Jesus says, this is the spirit of religion. Do it in secret because who are you living your life in front of? God. And what God sees in private, he will reward. God sees the things that happen in the secret place. But the spirit of religion is always offended by the way that things look. And here's the deal. This is a point of conviction for us. Our offense tells us that deep down, that we believe that God is pleased by what we can bring to the table. If you notice yourself getting offended... Don't just, don't just go, oh man, I did it. Allow the spirit of God to teach you where it comes from. Why are you offended by who walks in the door? Well, probably it means that somewhere deep down, you believe that God is pleased with you because of the way you walked in. And he's not. <laughs> he's pleased with you because of the sacrifice of his son, because he sees his son in and on you. That's why he's pleased with you, not because of the way you showed up, not because you're swaying right, not because you're closing your eyes right, not because you look like you're worshiping. God is pleased with you because of the work of the cross, and he's pleased with that other guy that you're judging because of the work of the cross, not by anything that you have done to perform. But if you find that in you, there's a little bit of that spirit of religion that's offended by somebody that walks in, you better know that you're holding the same standard over yourself, and you're deceived both ways. You're deceived because you think that this guy didn't come right, but you're also deceived because you think you did. Y'all get that? There's deception on both sides. Somewhere deep in you, you're pretty proud of yourself. 
Because you came in the right way. You look good and right and you're doing it all good. And you think that God cares about that. There's deception both ways. It's a spirit of religion that's looking uh, at, at the way that things appear. Repent of that. If you notice it in yourself, don't go, oh my gosh, I noticed it. You know, let the spirit of God minister to you. How many of you know you're not perfect today? Okay, good. So that means that the Spirit of God is available to minister to all of us today. I'm not saying this to you to condemn you. I'm saying this to you to offer an opportunity for you to notice something that the Holy Spirit can work on. Amen? Yeah. So if we notice that judgment, repent of that standard because that's not the standard that God holds over us. Okay. But then we get Hezekiah. Man, I love Hezekiah. Here he comes. All right? So they get all offended. Does Hezekiah get offended? Did you read it? I read it. Did you hear me? Did Hezekiah get offended? No, he didn't. I love this guy. Can you imagine the pressure at this moment? I mean, it's crazy in his city. People are tearing stuff up and coming the wrong way, and I'm sure the pressure is like, you got to do something about this, right? You got to get this party under control. He goes, no, God's doing it. He can recognize the work of God in chaos. Everybody else wanted order because they wanted order to mean that it was the work of God, but he saw the work of God in chaos. Yeah? Come on, that's a huge shift. Do you see it? Do you see it in our nation? Come on. Come on. We're all freaking out. We think God's left. What if God's moving? <laughs> We're all freaking out because we're going, oh my gosh, you know, we're tearing each other up. We hate each other. This election is insane. God's gone. What if it's God? How could we who follow him not see him in the midst of the chaos? What are we doing as a church freaking out and panicking? This is the beauty of Hezekiah's viewpoint. Everybody else wanted order. They wanted order to mean God. And he saw chaos and went, no, he's in it. Let him come. And he prayed. (laughs) Come on, are you guys, come on. He saw the chaos, recognized God in it, and he prayed. Now listen to what he prayed. Hezekiah prayed for them. And this is what he said. May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his what? heart to seek God. So it's, it's important. Well, let me finish the prayer and then we'll talk about it. So he, he says, let the Lord God pardon everyone who sets uh, his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And shocker, verse 20, the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Okay. A couple of things. What did he call on He called on the mercy of God, didn't he? He called on the mercy of God in his intercession. So it's important for you to know. It's important for us to capture here. We're trying to be a Hezekiah generation. This is a model that God has given us, okay? That his immediate uh, reaction, I guess you could say, is intercession. He sees the chaos, recognizes God in it, and doesn't try to take control. He intercedes, He immediately goes to intercession on behalf of the people. And in his intercession, he calls on the mercy of God. Mercy of God, why? Because he saw something that was out of line, right? 
It was out of line. They were not consecrated. They were not observing the Passover correctly. He was right to see that it was out of line. But what does he do? He calls on the mercy of God. How could he call on the mercy of God and not the rules of God in this moment? Why would he call on the mercy of God? Because he knows God, not just the rules. Come on. How many of you just know the rules? Come on, this ought to push us a little bit. How many of us just know the rules? We know what we're supposed to do and we know what we're not supposed to do. We have no idea the God that that came from. We have no idea the character that those rules and boundaries came from. And so Hezekiah wasn't afraid in the midst of rule breaking to call on the character of God because the rules didn't come absent the character of God. They didn't just appear. They came from God who is merciful. And so what is Hezekiah's first reaction? He goes straight to the person of God because he knows that he's merciful and he recognizes the rules are being broken, but he also knows intimately the God who he serves. And he says, God, be merciful. God, would you have mercy? Would you look? And where does he ask God to look? We know he knows God because he says, God, would you look straight to the heart? He knows that it's only God that can look straight to the heart. He's read the Psalms, maybe. He's listened to the prophet, maybe. And he asked God to bring mercy and judgment based on what only God can see, which is the heart. He could have done a lot of things, and it's important that we see the actions that he could have taken. He could have stopped the whole thing. He could have shut it all down. And said, whoa, 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 we're not doing this right. This isn't according to the rules, but he didn't do that. He recognized the work of God in the midst of the chaos, and he called on the character of God to act on behalf of the thing that only God could see, which is the heart of men and women. Now, here's here's where I think that this applies, and it applies very broadly and very specifically in a lot of different places. This is what God highlighted to me as I was studying this, but... uh, But he chose intercession instead of judgment of authenticity. Now listen, why is this important? He chose intercession instead of judgment of authenticity. How many times do we find ourselves in the place of judge over somebody else's uh, authenticity of their experience with God? Think about this. Think about just, and and look, this is not, again, this is not for condemnation, but this is for us to see ourselves well. How many times just in the next room have, have we been worshiping and your eyes have wandered and you saw maybe someone that was doing something or behaving in a different way than the standard and you began to ask the question of authenticity. Is that real or are they just showing off? And then the other way too. Golly, the girl next to me, she never even sways. Like, I know we're Baptists, but move a little, right? Y'all with me? That's all right, good. You're smiling, right? And what happens? You begin to ask, well, I wonder if God, does she even know God? Is there even, I mean, is the Holy Spirit, because golly, it's really moving for me, right? And she's just stone cold over here. You're either dead or you don't have the Holy Spirit. I don't know. (laughs) Right? Okay, good. So now we've joked enough to see, but it's real, right? 
How many times have we wandered and we become the judge of the authenticity of somebody else's experience with God? See, he could have done that. He could have said, look, you're just using this Passover thing as an excuse to come in and wreck shop here in this town. Come back and maybe it's a little revenge. I don't know. But you're just, you're just coming to come. It's just a party for you. It's not authentic because you're not doing it the right way and shut it down. But instead what he did is say, I am not the God of behavior. I am not the judge of authenticity. And so that's why he went directly to intercession and he said, God, I couldn't sort this out. You do. And he worshiped. Here's the deal. If Hezekiah becomes the judge of authenticity, he will cease to worship. Think about it. The moment that you begin to look around the room and go, okay, who's doing what? And is it really real? We look at what we see, and, and this is where social media is just cursing us because we scroll through our little timeline and we go, okay, how spiritual? I don't know, what, is that what I, did I get that right? Is it a timeline? Come on, right? We scroll through our time, and we're making judgment of authenticity after judgment of authenticity. My gosh, if I see another picture of somebody with their chacos in their Bible in a hammock, right? Stop. Feet aren't that pretty, Okay. But here's what we're doing. But we're, we're, we're just cycling through and judging and wondering, is this authentic? Is it not? And we're asking this even about ourselves. Well, I don't have those pictures. I don't even own a hammock. <laughs> right? Here's the moment. Hey, listen, listen, come on. Right, we, let's, let's smile together, but let's get it. The moment that you begin to weigh authenticity in somebody else is the moment that you have stopped worshiping. You with me? It's not your job. Now, some people are freaking out right now and going, well, does that mean the church is just supposed to be chaos? No, the church is supposed to have order, okay? And guess who brings it? The Holy Spirit. Not you. And I think we're so hopped up on order that we're missing the authentic move of the Holy Spirit. We are quenching the Spirit of God in church after church after church after church because all we're worried about is authenticity and order. And this book seems to say something different, that if all we'd be worried about is walking with the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, then order would come from that, not before it. What are we trying to organize? Human behavior? Order was for people walking in the Spirit. <laughs> you tracking? Order, order wasn't for, so we could have a nice, pleasant church service and get out in an hour, right? Right? Order was for when we were walking in the Spirit. If we're not walking in the Spirit, what do we need order for? What are we worried about that for? There's no move of God. You with me? The moment that we begin to judge authenticity is the moment that we quit worshiping. All right. You think I've been on that soapbox long enough? Okay, so then this is the coolest part, the next part. I got five minutes and I will land this plane. Here we go. <clears throat> so he prays. The Lord heard Hezekiah and, and check out the mercy of God. And what did he do? He, just, he healed people. Because apparently the justice of God is perfect. Because apparently God sees and knows the heart. And apparently this healing came because God looked on the hearts of the, of the, of the riffraff that was coming in the door and he said, nope, I'm going to heal them because their heart's right. They're coming after me. And they didn't follow the rules, but I'm going to heal them anyway because I'm good and I see why they're coming. Amen? 
Amen. So he did that. God healed him. And check it out, even the religious get on board. I love it. We, we left the religious kind of on a bad note, but even they get on board. Like they're just going crazy, sacrificing after sacrifice, trying to keep up and make up for all the bad people that are there. And eventually they look up and God's pardoned the people and there's joy and mercy and even they get into the party a little bit, Right? We're going to read that in a minute. You guys know we haven't read that yet. Verse 21, and the people of Israel who were present in Jerusalem, they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with what? Let's look at some words here. Great gladness. They kept it with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests, remember the religious we just said? What did they do? They praised the Lord day by day, singing with what? Come on. All of their might. Okay, so we got a couple things. First, they've celebrated with great gladness and they're praising God with all of their might. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the servants of the Lord. Uh, they ate uh, the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Start to imagine what this looks like. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. That's a good party. So they kept it for another seven days with what? Yeah, that didn't go anywhere, did it? Two weeks. Two weeks of gladness. We can barely muster 30 minutes. Two weeks of all their might. And we go, golly, are we going to sing four songs in this set? Because seriously, normally the pastor's on by now, because, right? Two weeks, all their might, great gladness. Then the whole assembly agreed together. They kept it for seven more days. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, this is verse 24, gave the assembly a thousand bulls, 7,000 sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and 10,000 sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. Come on, come on. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in the land rejoiced. That's a heck of a party. Look at verse 26, and we're going to stop here. So there was great what? Come on. There was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, that's a long time, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and listen to this, and their voice was heard. Remember those religious guys, their heart was turned and they sang with all their might and their voice was heard and their prayers came to his holy habitation in heaven. The rejoicing, the rejoicing was so strong and so authentic and so pure. Listen, what it rose to the heavens. Come on. Now, here's a question I have. Where is our joy? The guys on our worship team will start to cringe because I bang this drum all the time. 
but where is our joy? And here's the deal. The mark of joy is not the way that worship looks. You with me? Because you can have joy and sing from a hymnal. You can have joy and do whatever it is we call it we do in there. Okay? You can have joy and do that on steroids, right? With smoke machines and flashing lights. And I guess you can have joy in that. I get distracted, but you can have joy in there. Right? Joy is not the way that something looks. You with me? And so for us, for me to ask the question, where is our joy, is not for me to say to you, you need to jump more, you need to put your hands up more, you need to sway bigger. It's not to say that. Joy comes as we have a true outpouring of our heart when we humble ourselves before God. Look at the intersection here. There's humility, there's repentance, there's sacrifice, and there's the reception of God's mercy. And where those things collided, there was joy. You with me? Joy was, was in the wake of all of those things. It was in the wake of repentance, was in the wake of humility, was in the wake of unity, was in the wake of sacrifice. After those things, when those things collided, the natural offspring was joy, a move of joy. I am not saying that it, uh, that it has to look a certain way, but it is unmistakable when you see it. You've seen it in your own life. Joy comes out of you and there is nothing that you can do about it. You ever had those moments? Where there's absolutely nothing you can do to restrain your being from rejoicing in the Lord. And I bet you that's looked several different ways. Sometimes I bet it's brought you to your face. Sometimes I bet it's brought a loud shout from your mouth. Sometimes it may have brought a song. Sometimes it may have brought quiet meditation and prayer. But you know the times where an encounter with God leads to the outburst of joy. And this is where I'm asking, where is that? Where is that in our day? Are we missing it because we're trying to manufacture it? Or are we missing it because we're not actually encountering God? Because they encountered God. As dirty and as messed up as they were, they encountered God and the product was joy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you haven't seen it, it happens in moments. My prayer is that it would happen every time we get together. But if you haven't seen it, it's because you haven't seen it. It's different. It's different than us just deciding altogether we're just going to be excited. It's not an emotional pumping up. It's a humility. There's a sacrifice in it, but there's a shout of joy. And I pray that that is consistent in this building. Here's what I love. Everybody's involved. The religious who had their nose up, they're involved. They came around. Those who came just totally the wrong way. God's had mercy, they're involved. The king is involved. Everybody's involved and the place was changed. And heaven noticed and participated. Don't you know that, just, that God just loves that? I don't know. Look, this is not theology. Okay, this is just what I think, all right? You with me? This is what I think. But I think that God notices and gives support to good parties, Right? I think there's just an extra portion of delight that God brings when he sees authentic joy in worship. 
And I can just imagine from the heavenly places, God hearing. It says that he heard in his habitation from heaven, right? So just a moment ago as we sang, or or even right now as we prayed and we went, God, would you move in our lives? Would you teach us, right? I imagine that where that's authentic, that God goes, okay, I hear that. And what does it say about our father? Who, what, he gives what? Good gifts to his children. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And I imagine as God hears, God hears and goes, hey, you guys look at what's happening in Nacogdoches. Let's go there. <laughs> Let's be present there. And I just believe that there's an extra portion. Again, this is Kendall's thought, but I just believe there's an extra portion of delight that comes from the Lord. Not that he can be more delightful, but that God just loves being in our midst when we're authentically worshiping him with joy. That God enjoys it with us. That God wants to be present in a meaningful and profound way where he sees it and he hears it. And I want him to hear us here. Not because, look at me, not because we perform. But because we come the right way, because it's real joy. And when it was real joy, God heard in his habitation in heaven. And I want him to hear the worship that is coming from this generation. I want him to hear and join. Amen? Cool. We got to really, really hurry, all right? but I don't want to just move on. So let's just take a deep breath and capture what God said to us this morning. Okay, take a deep breath. Ready? Okay. I do that with our kids. When they're freaking out, we go, okay, stop. Five deep breaths. And we all have to lay down. (laughs) And we lay down and we go, okay, one. (laughs) It never works, but it's it's a good thought. All right. So let's do that. Let's breathe in. As you breathe in, I just want you to think, God, what did you say to me this morning? As you breathe out, just commit to walking in it to going deeper. Okay, ready? Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay, God, would you just continue to teach us? Would you continue to bring us deeper with you? Would you continue, God, to challenge us? But God, more than anything, I'm just captured by that, you hearing from your holy habitation in heaven. So God, would you hear us this morning as we come and as we explode in joy and rejoicing over who you are and your goodness? We pray that in Jesus' name.